Well, good morning. Am I on here? Yeah. Good morning, Lake Forest Davidson. I'm Holly Worsley, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to. Um, my husband, Bill, and I are longtime members and elders at the church. We um, have been around since uh, Lake Forest was in a skating rink. And yes, it had the ball, the twirly ball up top even. Um, and so even though we've been around for a long time and, and a, a part of the fabric of the church for a long time, um, it is my joy that I'm exactly seven days into being the new community care um, director here at the church. So I am thrilled about that, and I would love to meet you if I don't already know you, or meet you if I already know you, too. So we are, um, we are jumping into a new series just as of last week, and... I want you to know, friends, that there are so many voices in your life. So, so many voices in your life. Voices that, uh, that you're aware of. Voices that you're not aware of. Voices in our culture that have become, we've gotten so used to that we don't even hear, see anymore. Is my mic on? I see people signaling to me. Yes, okay. Um, Got it. You know, I was telling people earlier that uh, I've preached in uh, elementary school and I've preached in auditorium. I've even preached pregnant, which not a lot of people can say, but I've never preached in a field. It's a little more challenging than it looks. Okay, hold the notes. Got it. A lot of voices in our life, voices that we're aware of that we aren't, voices from our past, our present, voices that we invited in, voices we did not invite in wounded people speaking words over us that still resonate in our souls and our hearts. It demands and expectations that we place on ourselves. So are our own voices ranging around in our minds and our hearts. And, and God says, in the verse that we're going to read together, God says over all of those voices, hear mine the loudest. Hear mine as being true. Hear, hear mine as defining who you really are as my child. And God says in 1 Peter 2.9, if you'll flip over to the back of your notes there, you'll have the, the scripture. I'll read it to you. He says, over all of those voices, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. First Peter was written to a group of Christ followers like us that were being persecuted. This is what was being said to him. Wait, you believe that stuff? That's what was being said to him. And, and you're going to live from that? Because if you do, I can just tell you, your lives and your work and and your future, it's going to be all second rate, second class. And God, through Peter, was the loudest voice and spoke these words to those early followers. And he speaks them to us this morning. He says, but you are. Hear my voice the loudest, my child. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light 
Let me pray for us as we get started. Father God in heaven, I do thank you for our friends and family worshiping at home and online today and for our friends and family in the field. God, we thank you that nothing, nothing can stop the worship of your people from going forward. Nothing, that, that nothing is happening in our world that has taken you by surprise. That you are still Lord and King over all. You are still bringing your story to fruition. And we can rest in that. And we are responsible to understand who we are in your story. So God, this morning, through your scripture, through your Holy Spirit, would you whisper into our hearts again who we are as your people? I pray and ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to tell you about the day. That's what they called it. They called it the day. The day was, was when the people of God all assembled. And the tabernacle of God, which was a mobile tent which traveled with the people that God had meticulously told his people how to construct. The tabernacle was in, in the middle of all of God's people. And around this mobile tent, this holy tabernacle, were tents and families of God's people. Maybe by this time there were some 38 acres of God's people in tents that dwelled around the tabernacle in the center. And on this day, the day, all of God's people would have washed they would be silent. They would all be facing the tabernacle. Because this was the day that one priest was going to go into the very presence of God. One priest, one day, once a year. And in this tabernacle, there was, there was a court of women. And the women could only go there and, and nowhere else. And there was a court of men. And the men could only go there and nowhere else. And there was a court of priests. And then there was a great curtain. It was actually layers of fabric that separated the rest of this, this tabernacle, this movable tent from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was about a 30 by 30 cube. And in the Holy of Holies, God told Moses, my very presence will descend and, and be present, will dwell above the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. The very presence of a holy God will come and dwell there. And in that Ark of the Covenant, this golden box, were things that reminded us of who we were and who our God is. There was manna that God miraculously used to feed his people, reminding us that God provides for us and we still complain. There were tablets of the law that God gave to his people to say, here's how you should live. If you want to have full life, here's how you should live. But we rebelled. And there was a budding almond rod, which is a part of God's story, a time when God's people rebelled against him overtly. And, and so in this Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, behind this great curtain was a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Even in the midst of our rebellion, brokenness, injustice, and indifference about a holy God. On this one day of the year, maybe there was 1,200 priests in Israel by now, and, and uh, lots would be cast to see what one priest would enter into the Holy of Holies on behalf of God's people. 
Can you imagine what you would have felt? Can you imagine if, if you had been the one priest that the lot, lot was cast towards? Can you imagine the honor, but the responsibility? Can you imagine that you might have been trembling under it? The priest would have known exactly what to do. He just wouldn't have thought that his name would ever be the one called. And the first thing he had to do is he had to deal with his own heart. When he, when he came into the presence of a holy God, he had to deal with his own heart and, and the sins of his heart and the sins of his family. And so he would take a young bull and, and he would slice the neck of the bull and the blood would be captured because the blood is the life of the animal. And he would take that blood in this hand in a bowl and then he would take uh, coals from the altar of God and then he would put two fistfuls of incense onto the coals and incense would be, begin to rise up from it. And so he would walk behind the curtain this one day, this one priest, one time a year and he would have the blood of this bull, the life blood, the sacrifice on his behalf to a holy God for his sins and his heart and the incense, and it would go behind the curtain, and the incense, the smoke would begin to rise, and it would literally cover the mercy seat, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. It would cover it so that the priest would not die in the presence of a holy God. And the incense would rise up like a physical reminder that the priest carrying the prayers of the people to a holy God were rising up to a holy God. That was his job. And he would take the blood of this bull and he would sprinkle it on the, the Ark of the Covenant to atone for, which meant to cover over his brokenness. Just cover it over with his sacrifice. But then he would come back out and he would get two goats and, and they would cast lots over the goats and one goat would be slaughtered and, and that slaughtering was for the sins of all of God's people, for us. And that blood would be carried in to the Holy of Holies. And, and that the blood would again be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, on the, on the mercy seat to atone, to cover our brokenness. But the other goat, the priest would literally lay his physical hands on this animal and he would, he would confess the sins of all of God's people, the brokenness, the indifference, the rebellion. He would confess it. And this goat was called the scapegoat. And a priest would lead the scapegoat some 10 miles out from the tribes of Israel, from the people of Israel. And then it would be released forever into the wilderness. And the point was to say, God, will you separate our brokenness and our sin and our rebellion far from us? And then the priest would turn to the people and he would say God has heard your prayers and the people would shout with joy and clap and rejoice and worship you know friends a lot of people believe that if, if God is good why does evil exist why, why does he let evil continue in the world but here's the conundrum God is taking care of evil but if he took care of all that evil that's out there, the truth is he would have to take care of the evil that's in here too. Because we've all contributed. 
we are all continuing to contribute. And so if God's going to get rid of the evil out there, then he would have to get rid of us. He would have to get rid of you and me. But what's so remarkable, so beautiful, such an exhibition of the goodness of God is that God is taking care of evil and he will rid our world of it once and for all. But he is so good that he's going to do it without destroying humanity. The New Testament records there was another day in the court of priests. At this time, God's people, now they worshiped in a temple. And the curtain was some now majestic 60 foot high curtain. It was three feet deep, layers and layers of fabric. And the priests in this particular day, in the court of priests would have stood stunned. They would have stood silently. They would have been at a complete loss of words because the curtain had been torn from top to bottom. This majestic curtain, this continual and ever separation between a people and God. And in that moment, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the lamb of God. His lifeblood was given in our stead for our darkness and rebellion and indifference. But what he said when he hung there just before he died was, it is finished paid in full. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices had been pointing. God throughout his entire story had been saying, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And when I come for you, I won't just cover over your sin. I mean, I, I won't just hide it for a little bit of time until you have to do the whole thing over again. No, I will remove your sin. It was as God himself had taken his hand and from the top to the bottom had torn the curtain to say, not one man once a year can come into my presence, but all men and all women can come into my presence. That God himself had removed the barrier. Friends, I wonder, is it possible that we take for granted that we can approach a holy God without trembling. See, the early followers of God, they, they knew this. Like, they knew it deep in their hearts. They knew that if anyone, and this actually happened, even a priest went into the holy of holies, went into the presence of God, and they had a wrong heart. They were casual. They were false in their heart that they would die. I wonder if we take for granted that we can approach a holy God without trembling. A holy God that is totally good, totally light, totally pure, completely absent of darkness. The Bible uses the word other because I'm not sure that our hearts can even get around the goodness and the purity and the holiness of this God. But in our verse today, God calls us if you're in Christ today, or if today you make a decision to follow Christ, or sometime in the future, he calls us, Christ followers, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, and that is both a privilege and it's a calling. Billy Graham, who is arguably one of the greatest evangelists in America ever, 
He used to speak to millions of people, literally millions of people. But he wrote in, in one of his memoirs about the time that he was invited to approach the throne of the Queen Mother in England. He was invited to come and, and preach to just the Queen and her family in her chapel. And he said, I was terrified. He said, I was so nervous. I'd spoken to millions of people, but going in front of this queen on her throne, I was so nervous. He said, I walked in that day and I, I happened to look over at her to see where the queen was sitting and she caught my eye and she just did this little nod, this little nod of acceptance. Like, I want you here. I approve of you. I'm for you. See, only the queen should have, could have, shown the acceptance that Billy Graham needed in that moment to take away his trembling and to replace it with confidence and peace. In the same way, Jesus, the one true king, the king of kings that sits on the throne, he is the only one that could have shown acceptance that we needed. He's the only one that could give us the nod that says, I want you here. I approve of you. I love you. I want you to be with me. When, when Peter wrote by the hand and the will of God that we are a royal priesthood, we are royalty because we belong to a king. If you're in Christ, you are a full-on daughter of the king, son of the king. Debbie, you are a child. You are a daughter of the King Almighty. Campbell, you're a son of the King. You're royalty. You, you don't have to tremble when you approach the throne. You can just run up to it. And, and, and the King of Kings says, that's my girl. That's my boy. A throne in which we once would have approached in fear and trembling because of what Jesus did, because of the lifeblood, because of the sacrifice, because of the once and for all sacrifice, paid it all, it's paid in full. Now we approach that same throne, that holy God is a throne of grace and mercy. It is no longer a throne of fear, friends. I come, to the, I come before the throne of God in prayer in my heart, and my soul, and I find grace. I bring my ugliness and my brokenness and my habits that I can't quite seem to conquer. And I bring it before that throne and I do not have to fear because grace and forgiveness and love and mercy is poured on him. And he continues to remake me and he continues to help me to become. He, he continues to help me to try to become the person that he really created me to be. And he's doing that for you too. We do not receive at that throne of a holy God what we deserve. We receive mercy that we did not deserve. Friends, what is our response as royalty, as sons and daughters of the king to that, to a throne that's been changed from fear to grace and mercy? What is our response? We are to declare his praises. Psalm 99.3 says this, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. It, it's worship, it's thanksgiving, it's putting in our hearts again right perspective of who we are and who he is. What we deserved, what he has given, who he has declared that we are. 
it's worship, it pours out of us that we might declare the praises of him who has done this. Dallas Willard says that there's a problem with a lot of Christians today. That, that they've become Christians and they've found it. They have this gift. And then they stop seeking. But seeking is the way that we're to live every day of our entire life. We never ever get beyond seeking. Seeking has a lot of dimensions, but here's one of them. God wants to be wanted. God wants to be sought after. He wants his children to want him and to seek him. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. So yes, being royalty is a privilege. It's a privilege, but being a royal priesthood carries with it a responsibility. See, remember the priest. The priest literally entered into the presence of God with the prayers of the people. That was the priest's job. He was a mediator. He was to take the prayers and the needs and the brokenness and the hopes and the dreams of the people into the presence of God and lift them up to a holy God. That was his role. And so when God says to us, you are a royal priesthood, well, that's a great responsibility because what is God doing about the poor? What's he doing about the, those that are unseen? What's he doing about the lonely? What's he doing about the brokenness? What's he doing about the great needs that are unmet in our world? He's doing you. You're the plan. You're the priesthood. You are God's movement to eradicate evil in this world. And the great power that you have is that you can approach the holy throne of a mighty set apart God without fear and trembling, but knowing that you're wanted, that you have the nod of approval, that he, he loves you to seek him and, and come before that throne, the prayers of the people, the sick, the hurting, the lost, the lonely. We are the plan. Friends, hear the voice of a holy God say to you today, let all the other voices fade away. They're not all unimportant, but they are in light of the one true voice. You are a royal priesthood. If you are in Christ, you are a full-on daughter of a king. You are a full-on daughter and son of a holy God. You are royalty and you approach the throne of God knowing that he longs for you to be there. But that carries great responsibility because you are his plan for a hurt and broken world. So we are actually together gonna end our um, time by exercising our right together as a royal priesthood. I'm gonna lead us in a guided prayer. We're going to exercise our right together as a royal priesthood. So I'm just going to lead us through some, some things that we will together as the people of God pray over. And then we're going to praise him 
in between each of these, these periods of, of prayer. So if you will, if you'll just bow your head at home, if you'll join me, and we're going to exercise our right as a royal priesthood. Father God, we come before you just as that priest would have oh so, so many years ago now and confess that we have to deal with our own brokenness and our own sin and our own indifference first. So God, we begin our time of prayer as the people of God and we just silently now confess our hearts to you, Lord. We come in repentance.